Hey everyone, Greg Schutz here for ReadyForTheDraft.com and the Ready For The Draft podcast. That's right, we made it through episode one. Moving on to episode two in the podcast series, which is leading up to the NFL Draft, which is set to begin Thursday, April 26th in Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium. My goal is to continue to make these podcasts better and better for the listening audience, so I hope you enjoy the content that I'm bringing forward. Uh, I should also note that my mock drafts, they, they don't take into account any potential trades, so there are no trade projections in, in any of my mock drafts, um, but we can project trades here in the podcast, which is exactly what we're going to do as we break down picks 11 through 20 in my mock draft, uh, the first round. When you're taking a look at picks 11 through 20, there are some teams that are sitting there, maybe in need of a quarterback, who could be looking to trade up and uh, get into those top 10 picks, look for one of those four or five quarterbacks at the beginning of the draft. We're also going to break down some of the skill positions, looking at that running back class. Can this year's class compete with last year? Saquon Barkley is obviously the, the top prospect in this year's class, but what about LSU's Darius Geis, Georgia's version of Thunder and Lightning and Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, USC Slasher and Ronald Jones, and San Diego State's Rashad Penny taking over for Donnell Pumphrey there for the Aztecs. If you're taking a look at this draft class, is there a Kareem Hunt in this bunch? What about the next Alvin Kamara? We'll, we'll address those questions. And are there any day three prospects that you don't want to sleep on? There are a couple of guys that I have in mind that uh, we'll definitely take a look at. The wide receiver position, not a great class at the top. Calvin Ridley is a clear number one wideout. But what about the depth starting in day two, beginning of day three for, uh, for the wideout position? You know, that's uh, you know an area last year the draft produced the likes of Cooper Cup, Juju Smith-Schuster, Zay Jones, Kenny Galladay, Curtis Samuel, all of whom made their presence felt. So it looks like we may have a similar crop with this group of wide receivers. Got a few that I want to go ahead and break down here. And then the tight end position. You know, there were three tight ends that were taken in the first round a year ago. But this year's draft, uh, you know, I think this year's draft class is nowhere near that deep. However, there are about five tight ends that I think will get drafted in the first four rounds, which could make an impact on Sundays. So what I want to do before we jump into picks 11 through 20 is actually recap the top 10 of my mock draft. And again, this is not taking into account any trades, but uh, number f- no, number one overall, Cleveland Browns take Sam Darnold, the quarterback at USC. I think he's the most complete quarterback right now. The fewest, uh, well, I should say the most correct, the uh, issues that he has you know, are easily correctable. Number two, the Giants. If you go to the website right now, I probably still have Bradley Chubb penciled in there. I've had him there for a long time, but I'm going with Saquon Barkley here, the running back out of Penn State. He's the top player in this year's draft, and I think he's a guy who can make an impact uh, for that giant offense. Number three, the Jets. Josh Rosen, the Rosen one, as the Bruin fans like to call him. Jets get their franchise quarterback there at number three. Number four, this is where things start to get interesting. Cleveland Browns, if Saquon Barkley isn't there, I think they go Bradley Chubb. You know, that is if they keep that pick there at number four. But uh, if they go Bradley Chubb, pair him with Miles Garrett, you've got a formidable duo coming off the edge, wreaking havoc in opposing backfields. Number five, Broncos taking Baker Mayfield, the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, he's similar uh, in, in style, stature to uh, to Case Keenum. And I think that in a couple of years, Baker Mayfield could be running the, the, the show there for, for Denver. Indianapolis Colts number six. 
Quentin Nelson, the Rogue Raider, the Mauler. He's just going to beat you up, you know, physical guard. Um, I, I think that you need to bring some of that attitude uh, to the indie line. They gave up 56 sacks a year ago. Can't have that happen again. Uh, Quentin Nelson becomes a day one starter for the Colts. Number seven, Tampa Bay. They need help in their secondary. I think they're going to get it with the number one corner in the draft, Denzel Ward, out of Ohio State. Ran a 4-3-2-40. He's only five foot ten, but uh, I, I think from a technique standpoint, he's the guy that you want to have uh, there in in your secondary. The Bears at number eight. You know there there are a lot of names that are being tossed around here for the number eight overall pick. But I think when you take a look at Vic Fangio's system, Roquan Smith, uh, inside linebacker out of Georgia, sideline to sideline player, high high football IQ, tremendous athlete. I think he's a guy who can come in and be a leader on that Bears defense right away. 49ers at number nine. They need help in their secondary, both at corner and safety. So why not take the Swiss Army knife and can play all the positions back there? Alabama's Minka Fitzpatrick. And rounding out my top 10, Oakland Raiders, they love their athletes. And why not go ahead and take Tremaine Edmonds, 6'5", 253 pounds, 19 years of age. Just imagine what this guy could do if he gets into an NFL weight room. He could be a scary, scary player in a, in a couple of years. So that was my top 10. We covered that uh, in episode one. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at picks 11 through 20 now. And, uh, you know, this is where things start to get interesting. At number 11, Miami Dolphins. Could they be a team that trades back into the top 10 to get one of those uh, top four quarterbacks? Would they potentially go after Lamar Jackson? You know, the, really the biggest question is Ryan Tannehill's health. You know, two ACL injuries. You know, is he going to be able to, to hold up? Now, when you think about Ryan Tannehill, he's in the second year of that four-year extension uh, for $77 million. Um, won't be a free agent until the end of the 2020 season. So I, I think you know with Ryan Tannehill, they're going to be rolling the dice there. They've got Brock Osweiler that they brought in, uh, an Adam Gase guy, uh, to be the backup. So I don't know that they're going to go with a quarterback here, um, you know, unless they're really concerned about Ryan Tannehill's health. And supposedly, he's ahead of schedule and maybe ready to go by training camp. So I think that this will allow them to go go defense, and there's really one or two players that they can go with here. Uh, Adam Gase has come out and said in the media that the safety tandem of Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald didn't work out quite as expected. Now, granted, you know Rashad Jones was named to a second Pro Bowl, but uh, TJ McDonald, you know, he filled in admirably, you know, following the eight-game suspension for the PAD usage. Um, but I thought that you know he he was a guy who played around the box or in the box much like Rashad Jones did. You know they need a guy who's going to be playing center field, and you know Derwin James is a guy that a lot of people are talking about here. I think Derwin James would be a great player uh, or a great fit for the Dolphins, but again you're just going to get another player, another similar type of player. All three of those guys like to play around the line of scrimmage. Granted, I think Derwin James has better range than Jones and McDonald, but uh, I think you could probably get a center fielder later on in the draft. You know, and I think what you really need to do more than anything else is address the line up front. You're missing one big key ingredient, and that's Indomitian Sue. Indomitian Sue is now playing for the Rams, so you need to find somebody who's going to be able to to take up blockers up front. And I think that guy is going to be Vita Vea out of Washington. Now, Vea 
it is he's a mammoth mammoth guy 6'5 347 pounds it's amazing that he was a high school running back uh but he ran a 5140 at the combine um just tested incredibly well for a guy his size um you know 41 reps 225 in the bench press um so his his performance at the combine remind me a lot of Dontari Poe when he came out of out of Memphis you know measured similarly uh in that draft you know ran a 49840 44 reps at the bench press was ultimately drafted number 11 overall to the Kansas City Chiefs and really you know what's interesting is the comparisons really don't end there uh, similar production 100 career tackles double digit tackles for loss you know they they show that they could get after the passer break up passes um you know, Vea, just like Poe, has some some raw power to him, incredible explosiveness and agility off the line. Um, can take on multiple blockers. And you know, one of the things that uh, you see from Vita Vea with his his lateral quickness, you know, his ability to to move down the line and chase down ball uh, ball carriers down the perimeter, or uh, excuse me, to the perimeter. And uh, I, I think Dolphins, you know, if they're they're looking for that space eater and a guy who can actually get to the quarterback a little bit, Vita Vea is going to be the guy. You know, at number 12, let's make things interesting here. The Buffalo Bills. Tyrod Taylor out, A.J. McCarron in. Two-year deal. He's the stopgap for a franchise quarterback. But what are the Bills going to do? If the Browns take Darnold, can they get the Giants to trade down? Probably not, even with Saquon, you know, with Saquon Barkley sitting there. The Jets take Rosen, so maybe the Browns at number four. That, that might make some sense, especially if Cleveland moves down to 12. Uh, they could potentially target a left tackle to replace future first ballot Hall of Famer Joe Thomas, uh, who retired this offseason. You're not going to get a tackle at number four overall. The The talent level just isn't there. You could get away with it at number 12. Mike McGlinchey out of Notre Dame is the number one tackle, but he's better suited on the right side. Is this too high for UCLA's Colton Miller? Well, you know, Lane Johnson shot up the draft boards after his combine performance all the way to the number four overall pick by the Philadelphia Eagles. So there is a chance that you could see Colton Miller come off the board at number 12 for the Browns um, if if the Browns decide to make that deal. Um, you know, I think when it's all said and done, Josh Allen is going to be in a Buffalo Bill uniform. You know, I've talked quite a bit about uh, Allen you know, how teams falling in love with his physical skills have to be sold that they can turn around his completion percentage. You know, in episode one, I talked about, you know, other quarterbacks taken in round one uh, with a below 60% completion percentage and how they, they didn't really pan out at the next level. Now, Josh Allen, you know, you look at the physical skills, you know, they're undeniable. You know, he's 6'5", 237 pounds, ran a 47540 at the combine, a guy who can get outside the pocket and uh, throw the ball 40 plus yards down the field, you know, from the, you know, the, the, the near side to the far hash, or I'm sorry, the, the near side to the far sideline. And, uh, you know, just put it on a line, put it right where his, his receiver can, can make the play. You know, some of those out-breaking routes to the far side of the field, um, just some of those throws that, you know, you just don't see a lot of quarterbacks making even at the next level. Um, but that accuracy... You know, it, it, it's one of those things to where you can have all the physical talents in the world, but if you can't complete passes, that's going to be the biggest concern. You know, he has the has the football IQ, and he has again the athleticism. So I think if he goes into the right system, that's going to be, um, you know, to his his benefit. And I think he can sit behind AJ McCarron for a year or two there in Buffalo before ultimately taking the helm as the uh, starter for the Bills. You know, at number thirteen. 
Washington Redskins. Uh, they were dead last against the run a season ago, so you have to expect them to be looking for a presence along the interior of that line. So Vita Vea automatically comes to mind, as does Alabama's uh, uh, Darren Payne. You know, nice addition to to make things difficult to run against, but you know the the Skins really need a presence along the back end of that defense. You know they they need someone who can play in the box, play over the top against the run. They traded away Sua Cravens to Denver, so they, they need a physical presence back there. And I think Derwin James is that guy. You know, they give the Redskins that presence in their defense they've been lacking since number 21 uh, you know, was, was playing back there. You know, Sean Taylor was one of the most beloved Washington Redskins, and this team is in, di- you know, is in desperate need of that physical presence uh, in their secondary. You know, and Derwin James, he's a freakish athlete, another guy with a high football IQ, always seem to be putting himself in a position to make a play. Burst on the scene as a freshman, true freshman, uh, freshman All-America honors, and uh, put up some amazing stats. 91 tackles, you know, nine and a half for loss, four and a half sacks, four pass breakups, four forced fumbles. It was all over the field. Showed excellent range over the top. He could come down and, and was a physical hitter, much like uh, number 21 was. Torres, uh... His lateral meniscus in the third quarter against Charles, uh, Charleston Southern in 2016 ended his season there. So he made it all the way back in 2017, but he's a more in-the-box player than the traditional safety. So um, you know, he also seemed a little more hesitant, didn't always trust his reads, and he even saw some inconsistent footwork from him um, when, when tackling ball carriers. So you hope that he's able to return to form um, and really trust his body a little bit more. But there's no doubt that you know he's he's a freakish athlete and he's a guy who can be an intimidating presence in their secondary. So the Packers hold the number 14 overall pick, and you have to expect Green Bay to be on the market for an edge rusher early in this draft. Clay Matthews just is not the same player that he was a few years ago, and while he led the team with seven and a half sacks, it was the third straight season without registering double-digit sacks. You know, he's in the final year of his contract, and you know his future with the Packers really is in question at this point. Um, you know, and on the other side, you've got Nick Perry, you know, former first round draft pick as well, racked up 18 sacks over the last two years, but he's battled injuries throughout his career and has yet to play a full season since he entered the league in 2012. You know, to me, what makes sense here is Marcus Davenport out of UTSA, the Roadrunners. You know, he was one of the most talked about prospects in this year's draft. A lot of people comparing him to Ziggy Ansah uh, with his, his meteoric rise up the draft boards. What's interesting is he came to UTSA as a skinny, 195-pound kid, but he's leaving as a Roadrunner's all-time leader in tackles for loss, sacks, and quarterback curries. Um, you know, he's schemed versatile, um, you know, having played both with his hand in the ground and in a two-point stance off the edge, um, though I think he is more effective as a stand-up rusher. Um, but that's good news for defensive coordinator Mike Pettin. You know, runs a hybrid scheme that can morph from a 3-4 to a 4-3 on a moment's notice. Um, I still think Davenport's best when he's able to come off the edge. Um, that explosive burst, surprising flexibility to bend around the corner, um, uses his long wing ba- wingspan to engage the tackle, uh, uses those quick hands to get off the block, bends around the edge, like I said, can dip and rip, turn the corner, flatten out, then showcases that speed and, and relentless, a relentless uh, pursuit of the quarterback. He's got an excellent motor. Um, you know, I think he's got a high ceiling, but he's still really raw and needs to continue to develop um, you know, his game at the next level. But uh, he's somebody that I definitely see um, you know, great things and great potential from. Number 13, the Cardinals. 
Arizona Cardinals. So I know Cardinal fans knew that the day would be coming when Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, will be moving on. Uh, Carson made his retirement official after the 2017 season. Uh, 14-year career in the league. You know, spent the last five seasons with Arizona, teaming up with the ageless wonder, Larry Fitzgerald. Um, so, you know, the, you, we've already seen the team go with with Sam Bradford, the the quarterback who who can't seem to stay healthy um, as a short-term option at quarterback. And then Mike Lennon was brought in as an insurance policy. Both are signed to two-year deals, which could give a, a young quarterback time to settle in. So I think this is where, as I said in episode one, this is where Lamar Jackson is going to go. Lamar Jackson, a tremendous athlete, uh, 2016 Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, I draw the comparison to Michael Vick, you know, because uh, he just does things with his legs that there aren't many people that can do. And uh, he's got a tremendous cannon for an arm. You can throw the ball uh, 50, 60 yards down the field with just a flick of a wrist. Uh, again, he's another guy who's raw at his position, and I think he's going to need some time to develop. You know, if if Bradford can stay healthy or, or Glennon can produce, then you know I think it'll allow uh, Lamar Jackson to develop a little bit. You know, and don't be surprised if if they're looking at the receiver position, they're going to need someone um, who can be a number one when Larry Fitz is gone. And uh, you know, they've they've already lost uh, Jerron Brown and John Brown in free agency, so I think there's got to be a sense of urgency to. Uh, get some weapons in the past game. So don't rule out Calvin Ridley here. If if Lamar Jackson somehow is taken off the board, uh, which is entirely possible. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Steve Wilkes, um, you know, who came over from Carolina, he's seen what an athlete can do uh, at the quarterback position with Cam Newton. So I think Lamar Jackson is going to be the guy here. So we're halfway through. We're getting to number 16, Baltimore Ravens. They're sitting at number 16. You know, they found themselves on the outside looking in on the playoff picture for a third year in a row under John Harbaugh. 9-7 and seven record. Uh, had the 12th ranked defense and even had the 11th best rushing attack while really using a, a running back by committee approach. Uh, really, it was the passing game that let them down. It was a 29th ranked unit, lacked explosive plays, really finished at the bottom with just 29 passes a pass plays over 20 yards, and only three teams have fewer than five plays of, of 40 plus yards, uh, and the Ravens were one of them. Um, you know, what, what's even more remarkable is the fact that four of their top five receivers are gone from a year ago. You know, so tight end Ben Watson and, and receivers, uh, you know, Mike Mike Wallace, Jeremy Macklin, and then uh, running back uh, Danny Woodhead uh, called it a career. So. You know, it makes sense that they brought in Michael Crabtree, John Brown. Um, so they, this could be a landing spot for Des, Bra- uh, Des Bryant. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Des is, uh, is it, his production isn't quite what it used to be. But when you team him with, with Crabtree and Brown, you know, then it doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, and, and if Bryant does move elsewhere, then I think you know, you're looking at Calvin Ridley, Ridley as, a, as a possible pick here at number 16. But uh, I think Baltimore is also on the market for a right tackle. You know, they declined the team option for Austin Howard. Um, now, remember, Ronnie Stanley is their left tackle. So get this. Stanley and Mike McGlinchey were bookend tackles at Notre Dame for two seasons before Stanley became the sixth overall pick of the Ravens in 2016. Um, the Ravens, you know, this is a chance to reunite that duo, which would really bode well for the health of, of Joe Flacco. You know, when you talk about Mike McGlinchey, he's been a mainstay on that on that Irish offensive line. 
played in all 51 games over the past four seasons and put together a string of 38 straight games, uh, you know, starting to finish his uh, collegiate career. And 6'8", 309 pounds, uh, prototypical size and length, uh, moves like a tight end when he's out in front of the play. Um, I think he's got pretty quick hips on his combo blocks. Um, he's at his best in the running game when his pad level's low and he can get, get his hands quickly on the defender, um, which I think is going to allow him to control his man and drive him all the way down the line. Um, you know, I, I think McGlinchey as a pass protector, you know, he, when he does fire quickly out of his stance, you know, he can get his feet under him and, uh, his kick slide is, is pretty smooth. Um, I think he's also effective when he gets his hands active early. Um, you know, they, they play Notre Dame played NC state. He got to face Bradley Chubb and, uh, I think he was at his best when he fired off the ball early, remained balanced and got his hands on Chubb early, allowing him to mirror him with quick feet and, uh, and shut down any secondary moves. But Chubb, with the speed off the ball, forced uh, McGlinchey to open up way too early. He lost the hand battle, forcing him to lunge and lean, and that got himself beat. You know, I think McGlinchey, if you watch the tape, the, the speed rushers off the edge, I think it's just a little too much for him to handle on the left-hand side, which I think is going to be perfect for the Ravens. He can move over to the right-hand side, allow Ronnie Stanley to play the left, uh, left tackle. Makes perfect sense to me. Let's pencil him in as a day-one starter. Uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. So the, the Los Angeles Chargers have the number 17 pick. That still sounds a little weird uh, not to call them the San Diego Chargers, but the LA Chargers sitting at number 17, I think a major part of their woes uh, was its run defense. You know, it gave up uh, over 130 yards per game on the ground, which ranked 31st in the league. And while the, the D-line had that dynamic pass-rushing duo of, of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, the interior of the line was definitely in need of some help. You know, Bradley Meebane is, is now 33 years of age. He's entering the final year of his deal. And uh, Corey Legette, you know, he was you know lined up primary, primarily as the three technique. But uh, he, he's been suspended for the first four games of the 2018 season for violating the, the policy on performance-enhancing drugs. So I think Deron, uh, Darren Payne out of Alabama... He played the the nose tackle position for the Crimson Tide, but he also offers some traits to, to slide over to the three technique as well. So I think that makes sense to put him in the middle of this defense. You know, he's a known commodity as a run stuffer, uses his hands uh, to get off blocks, not only plugs holes, and uh, you know takes up space, but he has that short area burst to to shoot the gaps and make plays on the ball carrier behind the line. And I think while his, his pass rush situations weren't all that frequent. Um, you know, he made the most of those opportunities and, you know, he's surprisingly agile for an interior lineman. You know, he ran a four, nine, five forty at the combine. Um, you know, he, he converted his, uh, his, his speed to power to drive his man back into the back man, back into the backfield. He's very active as well as 53 tackles a season ago. were good for six on the crimson tide. Um, so I, I think Deron, uh, Darren Payne makes a lot of sense here, uh, for the chargers at number 17, uh, number 18, your Seattle Seahawks. Had a disappointing end to the 2017 season, didn't they? You know, the, losing three of its final four, finished the year nine and seven, causing them to miss out on the playoffs for just the second time under Pete Carroll, and just the first since 2011. Uh, they struggled to, to protect Russell Wilson. They gave up uh, 43 sacks a season ago. Um, so th- there's questions up front. You know, they, they brought in DJ Fluker on a one-year deal to take over at one guard spot. Uh, Dwayne Brown was brought in to be be the left tackle. But uh, are they going to be able to sign into a long-term deal? Uh, and then Jermaine Effetti struggled in his rookie season. 
Um, you know, got flagged 16 times, more than any other offensive lineman in the league, gave up six sacks. You know, I don't want to rule out an offensive lineman here because of uh, Connor Williams uh, of Texas makes a lot of sense here. Uh, Seattle, you know, a few years ago took James Carpenter in the first round, that versatile lineman who can play both tackle and guard. Um, but defensively, you know, the Legion of Boom's reign in the NFC West is officially over. Richard Seymour was released in the offseason, signed with the 49ers. And Byron Maxwell uh, is still a free agent. You know, Cam Chancellor trying to come back from a season-ending neck injury. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, unless Derwin James is sitting here, um, they're probably going to go cornerback. You know, you look at, at Shaquille Griffin, uh, impresses a rookie, holding down one starting spot. But I think they need another corner on the outside. And, and Josh Jackson... Uh, out of Iowa, you know, 6'1", 192 pounds, uh, started as a receiver, transitioned to the corner as a sophomore, but really 2017 was his coming out party. Led the nation with eight interceptions, 26 total passes defended, and uh, according to NFL.com, he gave up a completion percentage or completion rate of just 47.1% and made a play on, on nearly 26% of the passes thrown his way and didn't allow a single TD after week four. You know, he's, he's got the size to be a, a shutdown corner on the outside, fluid hips to run stride for stride. Um, you know, and he puts himself in a position to make a play. Um, does a good job reading the quarterback's eyes, and he's going to jump, uh, jump, uh, jump routes in front of him um, on one play, and then you'll see him in phase with inside leverage on a deep ball down the sideline on the next. You know, he's a guy who likes to likes to take some chances. Um, you know, and I think you know he he ran a. You know, four, five, six, forty. So it, at the combine, so sub sub four six, but he, he didn't he didn't break four five, and then you kind of see that out on the football field because he tended to, to really struggle to gain ground when he was training uh, trailing a receiver. So you know he's got to prove that he's not a one year wonder, but I think that size and uh, the playmaking ability uh, is going to be something that Seattle is going to fall in love with. Which leads us to number nineteen overall, the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, when uh, Des Bryant was released, uh, that completely I had to had to fix my my, my mock draft completely um, because Des Bryant being off the roster, you know the re- wide receiver position was already a question um, even without even without the the release of Des Bryant because you know Terrence Williams really hasn't been the impact player that you've been looking for um, and he could be on his way out. You know, Cole Beasley, major contributor on offense, but he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Alan Hearns, he was brought in to be a possession receiver, but injuries cut short his last two seasons. Um, so, you know, he's going to have to prove that he's he's healthy and 100%. Uh, Deontay Thompson signed to provide some depth, but they need a number one wideout, and I think that's going to be Calvin Ridley. Uh, you know, he finished his Bama career with the third highest uh, career receiving yardage and was second only to Julio Jones in career receptions and touchdowns. You know, he, he showed that he has some long speed to tr- stretch defenses vertically. Does a good job winning at the line against the cornerbacks, trying to jam him. Um, he's quick in and out of his breaks as a w- route runner. And uh, not only is he precise in his route running, but uh, he also shows some elite ball skills. You know, tracking the ball well, has the body control to adjust to the ball while it's in the air. And he'll even come back to the football and attacks it while it's in the air. Um, you know, so he, he's a guy that I think could step in, be that number one receiver, wasn't as explosive as you wanted to see him at the combine. Um, you know, he ran a sub four five forty, but uh, you know there were some things that just didn't really jump off. You know, uh, uh, you know his his broad jump of of nine feet two inches was the shortest of any receiver 
and uh, just had a 31 inch vertical leap. So from an explosive standpoint, that, that really makes you nervous. But uh, I think Ridley still has enough to be the number one wide receiver in this draft. Cowboys take him. So number 20, Detroit Lions. I think they're going to use all the time allotted on draft day before they finally send the card up. Uh, you know, Matthew Stafford sacked a career high 47 times. Health has to be a priority. They moved on from Travis Swanson at center. Graham Glasgow getting a chance to, to fill that void. Um, you know, the left guard position opposite TJ Lang's up in the air. Um, so the, the, the question is, is who's that's going to be? Is it going to be Billy, Billy Price out of Ohio State? Are we going to see Will Hernandez from UTEP uh, taken here? You know, Billy Price, he, he partially tore his, his pectoral muscle at the combine, but he's ready to go at uh, you know, by training camp. Um, I, I just think that you know, taking either of those guys at number 20 is just a little, little too rich for me. Um, you know, the Lions put together a running back by committee in 2017, and the result was finishing last in rush offense. You know, they brought in LeGarrette Blunt um, to provide some attitude in the run, in the running game. So you know, he's only a one-year deal, so he's a short-term solution. Uh, LSU's Darius Geis could be uh, the, the pick here. You know, I know that Matt Patricia is going to be running a lot of man coverage. You're going to need another corner out there um, on on the outside with Darius Slay. So you could see a cornerback, potentially uh, Isaiah Oliver or uh, Jair Alexander out of uh, out of Louisville. You know, Oliver out of Colorado could be picks here. And then even up front, they got to replace Lodi Nata, who uh, left for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so Florida's Taven Bryan. You know, he's... He's, he's raw, but I, I like him a lot. He's a guy who can get up the field. Um, so he, he can garner some consideration here. But uh, Patricia, you know, he runs a hybrid, that hybrid style of defense that can move back and forth between a 4-3 and a 3-4. And uh, you know, he puts a premium on, on edge rushers. You know, he's got Ziggy Ansah, who you know, recorded 12 and a half sacks a season ago. Anthony Zettel showed some promise on the other side with 6.5 as well. But uh, there's some questions, you know, Kerry Hyder's coming off a torn Achilles. You know, is he going to be able to return to his 2016 form that saw him register eight sacks? I I think the guy that you have to be looking at is is Boston College's Harold Landry. This is a guy who can play with his hand in the dirt and uh, also has the athleticism to be a stand-up rusher off the edge. 25 career sacks and, oh, by the way, uh, you know, two seasons were played under Lions' new defensive coordinator, Paul Pasqualoni. So remember that. Um, when he's healthy, I think he's probably the most explosive edge rusher in this draft. Um, you know, he lines up in a sprinter stance, allows him to really explode off the ball, and he's usually the first guy out of his stance because of that when the ball snapped. Natural bender, you know, uh, ability to to dip his inside shoulder, get underneath the uh, offensive tackle's pad level uh, as he's turning the corner, and, and he's very skilled with his hands. You know, he'll chop the offensive tackle's hands off the ball. Um, once he bends around the edge, you know, he can flatten out quickly and get to the quarterback. Not only sack the quarterback, but he's also looking for that impact play, having recorded 10 forced fumbles in his career with the Golden Eagles. I think Harold Landry could very easily be the number 14 pick to Green Bay, um, but I think it would also make a lot of sense here. Um, you know, the Lions, you may have to trade up to get him. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, people are sleeping on Harold Landry. He's a guy um, who I think could definitely make an impact. That ankle injury was really what kind of uh, took the momentum out of uh, out of his sales just a little bit because he uh, he was coming in looking like a top five pick because of that explosiveness off the football. So those are picks 11 through 20. 
want to go ahead and take a look at, uh, at some of our skill position players. We're going to take a look at the running back class. You know, a season ago, I've already broken it down just a little bit. You, know, you had uh, Leonard Fournette and what he did with the Jags. You had Christian McCaffrey, who was a leading receiver uh, for Carolina. Obviously, Kareem Hunt, third-round pick out of Toledo, led the league in rushing. Alvin Kamara, a dual threat as a, as a rusher and a receiver, and was the offensive rookie of the year in the league. You know, I think there's there's some similarities when you're taking a look at this year's draft class. Obviously, number one on the board is, is Saquon Barkley. You know, 6'1", 231 pounds, the, the junior out of Penn State. You know, he he totaled, you know, over the or eclipsed the thousand yard mark in each of his three seasons. Um, 18 touchdowns on the ground in, in each of the last two seasons, and uh, was a two time Big Ten offensive player of the year. When you look at him, the first thing you want to say is, man, this is a, a physical specimen. You, know, you can go to YouTube, you'll find all these videos, the 405-pound power clean, 30 reps you know, at 225 on the bench press, squatting 400, uh, 495 seven times. Uh, the strength is evident on the football field too, so it's not just in the weight room. You know, The, the power between the tackles to run through those arm tackles keeps that low, low pad level, uh, and it has that balance to run through contact. Uh, but he also has that vision to see that cutback lane. You know, if you watch the Rose Bowl against USC, uh, you know you, you saw that vision to be able to bounce it um, and reverse field and, and take it to the house. Um, you, know, you can put that foot in the ground, just explodes to the hole, gets to full speed in a couple of steps, so that acceleration is is very quick. Um, you know, and he has that quick feet to elude elude defenders in the hole, and uh, you know, makes those lateral cuts without losing any speed. Um, you know, not only can he run over you and run by you, but he can also leap over you. You know, you watch some of those hurdles. He looks looks a lot like an Olympic hurdler, uh, not breaking stride in the open field after he hurdles some of these defenders. And I think what's really e- equally impressive is his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. 102 receptions in his three seasons with the Nittany Lions, the team's second leading receiver a season ago. He's a polished route runner out of the backfield, adjusts well to the football in the air, catches the football away from his body. You know, and, and he even has uh, an ability to uh, make an impact in, in the return game. You know, he returned two opening kickoffs for touchdown against Indiana and Ohio State last year. You know, Saquon Barkley, to me, is the number one pick, and I'd be surprised if he fell beyond the, the number four overall pick. So after him, you know, you've got Darius Geis out of LSU. Uh, 5'10", 224 pounds, the, the junior, really made a name for himself as a sophomore in 2016 when he started six games for, for Leonard Fournette, who got injured with that ankle injury. Uh, Geis led the SEC in rushing with over 1,300 yards, 15 touchdowns, took over that starting role in 2017, 1,200-yard uh, rusher, 11 touchdowns, you know, and he, he had to deal with some injuries, but he still started 11 to 12 games. He's a big back. Violent running style initiates the contact and runs over defenders. Um, you know, I think he's got a you know an average burst, but you do see the long speed. You know, he ran a sub four or five at the combine, um, but I think what what has to concern teams is he looks for contact rather than trying to elude defenders and make plays in the open field. So I think that that could hurt him from a durability standpoint. I think he also wasn't much of a receiver at LSU, just 32 receptions in three seasons with the Tigers. But, uh, you know, when you look at physicality, that's really uh, the name of his game. 
Our third uh, third running back, Sony Michelle out of Georgia, 5'11", 214 pounds. Um, you know, he shared the backfield in college with Nick Chubb, but he could be this year's version of Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, as I said earlier, he was the lightning to Chubb's thunder for the, for the Bulldogs. Uh, excellent vision to see the hole. You know, he just put his foot in the ground, make a quick cut and, uh, had that burst to get to the second level. You know, I think he got to, you know, full speed in a hurry. He's definitely a home run threat, but he can also run with power, uh, lowering that pad level and, and showing some pretty good balance as well, uh, running through contact. Um, you know, he did run for a thousand yards in two of his last three seasons, um, you know, and as a receiver, uh, Michelle runs crisp routes out of the backfield, you know, and he has exceptional hands. You know, he catches the ball well away from his body. To me, um, if there's anyone that you're looking for as a sleeper for Offensive Rookie of the Year, you know, this is going to be the guy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sony Michelle. I saw where Todd McShay had him going in the first round to the to the Lions. And uh, I think that's a little too rich. I think he's going to be a second-round pick. I've got him going to Washington. I think he could be that explosive uh, back out of the backfield for Washington um, there in the second round. Uh, my number four running back is Ronald Jones out of USC. 5'11", 205, junior. You know, he's got really a slashing running style. You know, but I think he's progressed immensely over his, his three years at USC. He was a 1,000-yard back as a sophomore, but he really lacked any power to be effective between the tackles. So when you saw him show up uh, for, for fall camp, you know, he worked in the gym in the offseason, added 10 pounds of muscle, showed up at 200 pounds. And the added muscle really showed. You know, he was able to run through tackles, um, and you know, those were the tackles that were bringing him down a season before. It was just a more explosive back, and uh, you know, he also showed some you know, being effective in, in the passing game as well, which means he can be a three-down back. I think coming into his junior season, he looked like he was going to be nothing more than a than a change of pace back, a guy who's going to be able to get in there and show some speed. But he showed that he could sit there and uh, and be the guy that can that can carry the load. Uh, the vision to not only find the hole, you know, he presses the line of scrimmage, um, finds that cutback cutback lane, and a lot of times, you know, if you're watching USC, you know, he completely reverses field uh, to make a play. And, uh, you know, that burst, you know, allows him to get the full speed in a hurry. Um, and once he's in the open field, you're not going to catch him. He's going the distance. Um, Ronald Jones, I've got him actually going in the second round to the Lions. I think what the what the Lions could use is is a guy with, with his, um, his ability to run, you know, both between the tackles and on the perimeter and also be effective in the, in the passing game as well. Number five on my list, Nick Chubb. Georgia, senior, 5'11", 227 pounds. Now, Nick Chubb came to Athens, you know, and he was a dynamic, dynamic freshman. You know, ran for over 1,500 yards of 14 touchdowns, but there was a devastating knee injury in 2015 that nearly derailed his career for good. You know, and, and he was just about back to form as a, as a junior, over 1,300 yards on the ground, um, you know, and... and you know, as a, I'm sorry, as a, as a senior, you know, sharing that backfield with, with Sony Michelle. Um, he's a big guy, you know, big, thick legs running through defenders, but I, I really don't think he's a one trick pony. He's not just going to be that physical back, um, because he does a good job setting up his backs or excuse me, setting up his blocks, has the vision to see those cutback lanes and, and the feet and the later, uh, lateral agility to, to get to those holes. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have top end speed that some of these other running backs have, but, uh, the explosiveness is on display though. 
38 and a half inch vertical leap and a broad jump 10 foot 8 inches which were among the top at the position so that's indicative of of his explosiveness um, you know he's not much of a receiver at, at Georgia only 31 passes caught in four seasons um, at UGA but uh, you know that was really Sony Michelle's forte and I don't think he's going to be asked to be a receiver much at the next level um, number six is Rashad Penny you know 5'11 220 pounds out of San Diego State so when a program loses the FBS's all-time leading rusher you kind of expect it to be difficult to find a replacement but uh, even when Donnell Pumphrey was was in the backfield, uh, you know Rashad Penny actually racked up over a thousand yards on the you know on the ground as as Pumphrey's backup. Um, you know as a senior, um, he led the nation rushing for over uh, twenty two hundred yards. Became just the fourth player to rush for over two hundred yards in five straight games, joining the likes of Marcus Allen and Barry Sanders uh, to to hit that accolade. And, and you also look at at him in the return game. You know, he returned seven career kicks for touchdown, which tied an FBS record. Uh, C.J. Spiller was one of the two that held that record. Um, but I think Penny you know, has that blend of power and speed that can allow him to be effective both between the tackles and on the outside. He's a very patient runner, another one who, who waits for those blocks to develop before uh, you know, getting that burst down, down the field. Um, you know, the vision to see the cutback lanes, you know, pressing the, pressing the hole. Um, that's really what you saw in the... Um, in the return game was that vision. Um, you know, he has good lower body strength to run through contact, um, drags fen- defenders for extra yardage. You know, Aztecs didn't really throw the ball much, but he has good, good soft hands out of the backfield. Um, you know, I think his biggest struggle is going to be as a pass blocker. You know, he seems to get lost easily, and I think that's going to limit some of his effectiveness as a rebound back. I think he's going to end up in the third round. And if I'm the uh, you know, if I'm any team that's looking for a running back, potentially uh, Tampa Bay, you know, you can get some of the, you know, shore up that, that defense a little bit. You could pick up Rashad Penny there in the third round. Um, and then, you know, looking at number seven, how about Naeem Hines out of NC State? You know, it was kind of a surprise that he came out as a junior. You know, he's 5'8", 198 pounds, but he's fun to watch. You know, he came as a came to the, the Wolfpack as a, uh, a wide receiver as a freshman, Moved to tailback behind Matt Days, was still asked to catch passes out of the backfield, hauled in 43 of them for 500, over 500 yards. And then when Days uh, graduated, stepped into the starting spot, rushed for over 1,100 yards, uh, and also hauled in 26 passes. You know, he's got the, the burst, the acceleration to get to full speed. He's very patient as a runner. He runs with a low center of gravity, good uh, balance in traffic. Um, and, you know, he's really you know, dynamic and electric in space, you know, some elusiveness in the open field, uses that four four sub four four speed to go to the distance. I think he could be a, a change of pace back for a team like the Miami or I'm sorry, the Minnesota Vikings. Um they've got Dalvin Cook in there. You've got a power back in Latavius Murray, but I think a change of pace back like like Hines would make a lot of sense. So I talked about some day three sleepers. How about Kalen Balage out of uh, ASU, Arizona State? 6'1", 228 pounds, ran a 4'4", 6'40". Um, you know, when you look at his, his, you know, there's not a whole lot of tread on, on the, on those, on those wheels. You know, he averaged 620 rushing yards in, in his last three seasons with the Sun Devils, but you know, also had 82 career receptions. You know, he runs routes very well. He can be a downfield option. Um, you know, but he, he's a big back, but he was more of a finesse back. And I think that's really why I think he's going to be more of a, a pass catching option um, when it's all said and done. 
you know, someone that, you know, not everybody's high on, but I think he's the guy who could be a sleeper is Ito Smith out of uh, Southern Miss. 5'9", 190 pounds. You know, he ran between a 4.45 and a 4.54. I think people were surprised that he ran as fast as he, as he did. Um, you know, back-to-back 1,400-yard seasons, 40-plus receptions in each of his last three seasons. He's a guy who can stop on a dime, some cutback ability. He's shifty, patient um, on the outside as well. You know, he's somebody who I think could be a, a change of pace back, a guy late day three that you might be able to uh, to hang on to. And uh, a small school back, if you're looking for a name, how about Chase Edmonds out of Fordham, 5'9", 210 pounds. Uh, he was just 12, 12, a little over 1,200 yards away from Adrian Peterson's FCS record, but ankle and hamstring injuries limited him to just seven games. Finished his career with 5,862 rushing yards. Um, you know, he's explosive, able to bounce off tackles, has a pretty good spin move with breakaway speed. Um, you know, he's a good receiver. You know, I think he could be a change of pace back, but he looks lost in, in, in pass protection. So I think that's one of the things to where he could be a, a priority free agent or there could be a team that could take him late in, uh, in, on day three. So that's the running back position. And I think, you know, let's take a look and see where we're at on time here. And we've got about 15 minutes or so, so we can jump into that wide receiver position that I was talking about. Uh, you know, we look, you know, three receivers were taken in the top 10 a season ago, which was a far cry from 2014, which saw five receivers go in the first round. That was a draft that produced Odell Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, and Kelvin Benjamin. A year later, 2015, I think, you know, a reaction to that, you had six receivers go off in the first round. And we have more you know, mixed reviews out of that receiver class. You had Amari Cooper, Devontae Parker, and Nelson Aguilar. But you also had Kevin White, Brashad Perriman, and uh, Philip Dorsett, none of whom really uh, made an impact so far at the next level. I think this year, as many as four receivers could be named in the first round, but as few as maybe just one. You know, and, and my sleepers really come off the boards in, in rounds two to four. Already talked about Calvin Ridley as number one wideout. Dallas makes a ton of sense for him. Uh, number two, Cortland Sutton. You know, a lot of people they're they're kind of all over the board with him. 6'3", 218 pounds. This junior, um, you know, I think he he's a he's a guy who you know had had back to back thousand yard seasons, double digit touchdown passes. He's a big target, large catch radius. Does a good job extending for the ball. Um, you know, he he. He's a long strider, so it doesn't look like he's moving that fast, but he ran a 4-5-4-40 at the Combine. So when we talk about some of these bigger receivers, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster ran a 4-5-4 at the Combine. Just remember that. Um, there are a couple of other guys here that I'll be talking about that you know I'll refer back to Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, I think he does a good job coming back to the football, attacks the ball um, in the air. He's not afraid to go over the middle. He's going to take a big hit and still hang on to the football, and he's very physical after the catch. Um, you know, he's, he's not the most explosive guy out of his breaks. He's not very sudden, but he does have a knack for creating space and getting separation late, uh, able to go up and make a play on the football. Um, you know, so, you know, if you look at number three, DJ Moore out of Maryland, six foot, 210 pounds. He was a junior who really emerged as one of the most explosive players in the FBS. His junior season hauling in 80 passes, over a thousand yards, H touchdowns. You know, he's really sudden in and out of his breaks, has some speed to, to stretch defenses vertically. Uh, I think his explosiveness was really on display at the Combine. 
uh, finished among the top five wideouts with a 4-4-2-40 and finished second with a 39.5-inch vertical leap. Uh, so I think he has tremendous ball skills. He can adjust to the ball in the air and can high point footballs, um, can create some separation late. Um, right now I have him penciled in to go uh, in, in the second round, but he's someone who could easily come off the board in round one, possibly to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, sitting there at number four is Christian Kirk out of Texas A&M. 5'10", 201 pounds, uh, a junior who's one of the most explosive players in this year's draft. Uh, just a model of consistency for the Aggies, averaging at least 60 receptions for 900 yards and seven touchdowns in each of his three seasons at College Station. Uh, dynamic in the return game as well. Seven returns for touchdowns, six of them uh, you know, off of punt returns, one kickoff return for touchdown in his career. Uh, a 22-yard average on, on 37 punt returns in his career as well. Um, you know, his ability to separate vertically is apparent, but I think what really sets him apart is a sudden burst and that quick acceleration that's going to make him difficult to defend. Um, he's quick in and out of his breaks, um, but really leave the defenders behind and uh, has some ball skills, showing an ability to adjust to the football. And I think he's especially proficient at, uh, at handling the back shoulder fade. Um, number five, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth with this, uh, but I think number five on my list is, is D-Day Chark out of, uh, out of LSU, 6'3", 199 pounds. Uh, you know, the size and speed give him a chance to be the guy as number one wideout. Um, you know, that size at 6'3", but he's a 4'3", 4, 4, um, you know, I, I think that was really what was surprising at the Combine. Uh, caught just 40 passes and scored three touchdowns a season ago, but please don't look at the stats because LSU is a run heavy offense. And a lot of that has to do with those low numbers that he has um, as anything because, you know, the Tigers ran the ball twice for every pass that was thrown. But, uh, you know, he made the most of his opportunities. He averaged uh, almost 22 yards per reception on those 40 passes that he hauled in. He's an explosive athlete, and I think he could be a better pro than he was in college. Number six, Anthony Miller. Now, this guy was another model of consistency, um, you know, over, you know, nearly 3,600 yards receiving, 37 touchdowns with the Tigers. He was a former walk-on, but you know, 17 games with 100 plus yards uh, receiving, 10 double-digit catch games, nine games with multiple touchdown receptions. Also played big uh, when it counted. You know, there's that upset winning over UCLA, nine receptions for 185 yards, two touchdowns, and he also in the uh, American Athletic Championship against Central uh, Central Florida. 195 yards on 14 touchdowns and three touchdowns. You know, heartbreaking loss, but still, you know, Miller was a standout in that game. You know, he doesn't have ideal size and lacks really that top-end speed, but he's sudden with his movements. He's a savvy route runner, knows how to get open. Uh, he creates separation on his double moves with a quick head fakes or a jab step to really set up the defender, and he accelerates away from the defender. So he's a guy that, you know, don't look at the at some of those measurables. He's a guy who, who can make plays, um, you know, and you know, he, he's somebody who's just very, very savvy. Um, you know, he, he can, has that body control to elevate for the football as well and can really attack the ball in the air with his hands. Um, number seven is probably one of my favorite receivers. That's Alan Lazard out of Iowa state, six, five, 227 pounds, uh, was a highly touted high school senior. And, and he leaves the Cyclones as the all time school leader in receptions yards and is second in touchdowns. Um, you know, was the favorite target of any Cyclone quarterback because he, he, he hauled in a pass in um, 48 consecutive games. And really, he's a mismatch nightmare on the outside. You know, he's a downfield threat and a legitimate red zone. He's got a huge catch radius, uh, does a great job extending for the football. 
uses that big body to shield the ball from defenders and really plucks the ball out of the air with his hands. Um, he's known for his ability to high point um, passes in traffic. Um, but, you know, I think really what, what kind of sets him apart is that flair for that acrobatic catch. Um, you know, I outlined this on, on my website, but, you know, against Texas Tech, you know, he extended for a one-handed catch on a 34-yard post pass for a touchdown. Um, then he ran a fade against Oklahoma State with the, the cornerback draped all over him. Uh, he was somehow able to tip the ball to himself and then showed off this incredible concentration to haul in the pass while also getting both feet and bounds in the end zone before going out. And then in the Liberty Bowl against Memphis, uh, showed off some concentration, quick hands to haul in a tip pass in the back of the end zone, getting his feet in for a score before going out of bounds. Uh, and for all that big play potential, you know, there are critics that, that said that he couldn't run and may have to bulk up and play tight end. Prove those doubters wrong by posting that 4-5-4-40 at the Combine. And remember again, I was talking about Juju Smith-Schuster. The critics were saying the exact same thing about him coming out of USC. He silenced those critics, posting that 4-5-4-40 at the Combine, went on to be a dynamic receiving threat for, for Big Ben and the Steelers. I think uh, Alan Lazar can come, come off the board probably at the beginning of round three for the Bills and have that same type of impact. You know, I, I, a guy that I'm really high on, I think higher than probably a lot of people, and that's Michael Gallup out of Colorado State. 6'1", 195 pounds. He finished the 2016 season with a touchdown in, in 10 of his final 11 games, uh, including three against San Diego State and Idaho to close out the season. Um, it was a Bolitnikoff Award finalist in 2017. Um, 100 catches uh, for over 1,400 yards. Uh, you know, 100 yards in 11 of his final 18 games with the Rams, including three 200-yard games. Um, so I, I think there's some concern over some of his top-end speed, but he still ran a 4-5-140. Um, I think he has a knack for getting open. You know, and you see, uh, you know, just that suddenness off the line. Um, does a great job of reading whoever's lined up over him. You know, gives him a stutter, a head fake, um, and, and cuts off his man to, to win at the line of scrimmage. And I think the ball skills, he's got elite ball skills and just has a knack for going up on those 50-50 balls, elevating over defenders, and uh, able to haul in the football. I think he tracks the ball very well in the air um, and hauls the ball over the shoulder, has the body control to lay out for the pass as well. Um, you know, I think Gallup could be a second or third round pick. He may even fall to the fourth round, but I think he's a guy who could end up being a steal um, you know, for, for somebody that's looking for a receiver um, you know, in, in one of those second to fourth round range. Number nine on my board is, is James Washington out of, out of Oklahoma State. The Bolitnikoff Award winner is number nine overall. What? You know, when you look at this guy, you know, he's 5'11", 213 pounds. He looks more like a running back than a wideout. But then you see some of that explosiveness on the outside. You know, what was really surprising was he ran a 4'5", 4, 4 uh, 40 at the combine, but he's still able to get over the top of defenses. You know, he, he just accelerates past people, just eats up that large cushion um, that's set up by the corner. Um, you know, he beats the jam off the line. He's very physical there. Uh, makes a quick cut um, to throw off the defender as well. Does a great job tracking the football, but you know he's not the most physical receiver, especially in traffic. Struggles to fight, uh, fight back to the football when the ball's on, on you know a deep pass is underthrown, and that happened quite a bit with Mason Rudolph. Um, you know you just have to wonder how much production was was driven by the that air raid system that was run in, in Stillwater, but uh, you know his ability to stretch the defenses vertically will make him a weapon on the outside. It's going to get him drafted probably, um, you know, at the close of day two, beginning of day three. Um, and, you know, a team like the Falcons could add him to the roster, 
move Mohamed Sanu to the slot, give Matt Ryan the right balance of receivers with two uh, outside options, having him line up opposite Julio Jones. And some other wide receivers to keep an eye on. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown, Notre Dame, 6'5", 214 pounds, 44640 with good size. He's a big body possession receiver who can run after the catch. Dante Pettis out of Washington, six foot, 186 pounds, nine career punt returns, set the NCAA record for that. Um, he's quick and sudden in and out of his breaks. You saw that in the punt returns. It's similar with his route running, tracks the ball well, can high point the football, great leaper on those 50 50 balls. Uh, and then a few other names to keep an eye on. A Kiki QT out of, out of Texas Tech could be a slot receiver. Um, you know, there, there are three receivers that are over six foot that ran four or five or better. Uh, UCLA's Jordan Lastly, uh, UCF's Trequan Smith, and uh, Jester Wea out of, out of Pittsburgh. I think, you know, you, you have to, you know, the, the production wasn't always there for those guys. So I think they're going to have to come in and, and really earn a spot on, on a roster. And I think while, uh, you know, Indiana Simi Cobbs and Florida State's, you know, Auden Tate look like big body receivers. They can be red zone tears. I think they may also have to put on some weight and line up a tight end. You know, they're running uh, in the four sixes, almost four sevens. Um, you know, so they're going to have to show that uh, either they need to shed some weight uh, to to hopefully gain some speed. But uh, you know, with their size and their ability to, to be red zone options, uh, basketball players who can elevate over defenders, they could be mis- mismatch nightmares. Could end up lining up a tight end. So those are my running backs and my receivers. And uh, we're coming up on time, so I think we're going to run out of time to really talk about the tight end position right now. Um, but we'll be able to transition to episode three. Hopefully, I'll be able to get that uh, out to everyone here in the next day or two. Episode three, we're going to go ahead and get into the trenches. So we'll talk about the tight ends, and then we'll talk about uh, the offensive line. We'll take a look at uh, the hog mollies, you know, at, uh, at tackle, guard, and center. Um, so that's really what we'll take a look at. In uh, in episode three of Ready for the Draft podcast, um, it will also break down picks twenty one to thirty two in my first round. Um, so we'll we'll really go ahead and, and delve into the you know the, the the deeper parts of of that first round. I think that's really where um, you know if you're mocking a draft, that's really where. You know, things get uh, unpredictable. You're going to see a lot of trades, teams trading back into the first round to to get um, to get someone who may have fallen in the draft. You, know, you saw that with San Francisco being able to trade back into the draft to get Ruben Foster. We've seen, you know, he he's he's gotten himself into trouble uh, with the law, and and his his NFL future is is uh, you know in question. But at the time, it, it looked like a very smart move on the 49ers' part. Who's going to be the team that's going to draft? You know, trade back into the first round. You know, the Browns wound up with three first-round picks: Landon Miles Garrett, Jabril Peppers, and David Njoku. Um, you know, who's going to be that team this year that we're, everybody's going to be talking about? Until then, thank you for joining me, and don't forget to check out ReadyForTheDraft.com. You know, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that my my mock draft gets updated. Saquon Barkley, number two overall. Uh, to the Giants. So I'll make sure to have that updated here in the next day or two. But until then, everyone, again, this is Greg Schutz, readyforthedraft.com, ready for the draft podcast. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Take care.